I'm just gonna start recording, cause it's fun. I did a thing! We're gonna be better people by the end of this. The thing that I did! Sarah! I did a thing! Talk about it! Welcome to I Did a Thing, a podcast about unremarkable people doing remarkable things. I'm Sarah. And I'm Birdie. Uh, and we're back after being gone for a week on the, due to an uh, unfortunate incident at my yeah. house where a tree fell down in my front yard and knocked down all of the important wires. <laughs> so, I, uh, I have questions about how... Okay, first of all, your internet was knocked out for a week, right? Yeah. So, power, I get, like, you can survive without power, and I know how you do that, because I've gone through power outage. But for a week without internet, how how is your life different, and how did, were there things that you didn't realize that you relied on so heavily because of the uh, internet? Yeah, well... Especially because uh, I um, I don't have I I cut the cord, so um, the cable. I use the internet. Yeah, I don't have cable or, or satellite, so I use the internet to watch TV too. Right, and um, you can't so, you don't sit at a desk, so you can't like sit and surf the net when you're at the net. Right. Who says that? Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> It's well. We're recording very early in the morning, and I'm not <laughs> awake yet. Um, but you can't sit at work and look at the internet either. So, that's right. Part well, of my so, question. um, I could use the my phone, obviously, still. Sure. Um, and then actually at work, um, luckily they let us use um the Wi-Fi at work. Mm. Um. So. <laughs> I um I would uh, do stuff on my phone that I needed to do at work lots of times because um, the phone plan that I have it's technically unlimited data but after um you you use so much they like slow you down mm-hmm. so after like a day of no regular internet yeah I had reached the cap so um anyways I would I use the Wi-Fi at work and then I also I was like taking my Kindle to work with me, mm. um, and, um, like, downloading shows from Netflix onto my Kindle so that I would have something to watch, like, usually okay. when I was going to sleep. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and then I also, on Sunday, I went to Starbucks and hung out for, like, probably about two hours, because the other thing that wasn't working... Uh, was our air conditioning. <laughs> so I it went and, that. yeah, and enjoyed the air conditioning and the free Wi-Fi at Starbucks for a little bit the other day, so. Yeah. We had a big spike in the, uh, we had, like, heat advisories on Saturday and Sunday, and I went to the movies one day, because I don't have air conditioning either, and uh, it was real busy, real busy at the movies that day. Yeah. Yeah, it's, there was a heat advisory here the last couple of days. Ugh, gross. Um, Summer in. The other thing that I wanted to mention before we get yeah. into it is happy anniversary, Happy buddy. anniversary, Sarah. The 19th of last year was when our first episode came out, <sighs> so we've been doing this for a year. That's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so yeah, that's ex- that's exciting. We're we're still doing it. There's a lot of people who out there who start podcasts and don't make it past the first few episodes. So right. I don't know I who's like... listening, but we're still talking. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Um. So on that note, uh, we I didn't get uh. We're recording on Tuesday, and my Wi-Fi didn't start working until yesterday, so we're on kind of a compressed schedule this week to get get the show recorded and out, so we're going to have a little bit of a shorter episode, yes. um, and I thought the first thing that we would do quickly, um, before we get to the exciting guest, mm-hmm. 
um, is just to talk with Birdie a little bit about how your training is going. It's yeah. it's two weeks till Ooh, the half marathon. Vomit. It's two weeks away. <laughs> okay. Ugh. Um, I've been really okay. So Sarah has me set up on this training plan where I run shorter distances twice a week and then one long distance. And I think that's pretty common for right like training plans for longer distances, right? So yeah. I run on Mondays. My long one is on Mondays because I work from home on Mondays. And so I can run and then just like roll in and fire up my computer, <laughs> like sit there and stretch and be gross for like two hours while I finish sweating and hurting. Uh, I still hurt. Um, <laughs> I'm at nine miles right now. And you, ju- you ran nine miles this last Monday. I did. Yesterday. No, today's Wednesday. Two days ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a. Uh, it's not as hard as I thought it was going to be once you get beyond like five miles. I think adding a mile every week has been really helpful. Right, yeah. And after I got past a certain number of miles, it wasn't so bad. Um, things I'm running into huh, um, con- like concerns that I have. Number one is going to the bathroom. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been trying to wait to run. Like the timing of things is really tricky because it takes me about two hours to run nine miles or ten miles. Right. So um, I kind of have to wait until after. I mean, this is going to get ba- literally bathroom humor, but um, <laughs> I have to run and I have to wait until after I pooped. In the morning, right? Because yeah. otherwise, I'm going to have to poop when I'm running, and that is not ideal at seven in the morning. Um, so that's been weird. Uh, I've been really fortunate with weather in that I've, I've been able to run around when it's raining or when it's super hot. You know, Mondays have been pretty good to me, um, but I have concerns about that. Maybe on race day, if it is raining, I'll run anyway. But still, and then. It just takes so much time. So much time. <laughs> it does. It's You're going a long ways. Uh, yeah. I'm like, two hours. I've got two hours. So uh, that is incentive to run more faster, but I'm not in shape enough yet to do that. So I'm still running four mile, or four minutes and then walking for a minute the whole time because otherwise I'm going to burn myself out and not be able to right. go. Those are the big things. Uh, my hip flexors hurt and my butt hurts after nine miles of running, but I think that's probably pretty normal for where I'm at. But the rest of yeah. me feels pretty good. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, we've talked about this a few times, but try and get yourself to do some stretching yep. when you get when you get home, and that'll help some. Um, but yeah, that, that that's kind of, especially when you're first starting out, that's kind of I mean, you're making your muscles do something that mm-hmm. they're not used to doing at all. Yeah. yeah, especially on a condensed timeline. So I've only been running a month. So that's um, bad, too. <laughs> have you been, like, eating breakfast before you go mm. out to run? Yes. So I've been yes. trying to eat um, some eggs and some toast with some butter and stuff on it. So, like, that short-term carb and the long-term protein and then I bring out with me on the long runs a bottle of water which I hold and then I have some baby food and a squeezy thing Mm -hmm. which I have found is just the easiest Um, right and then some dried apricots which have been really helpful um are you are you a coffee drinker I am so I drink coffee also in the morning right because I was just going to suggest to go with the pooping situation. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, definitely. Like, I think sometimes people think, like, that they can't drink or they shouldn't drink coffee um, in the morning before uh, a long run because um, it might make them dehydrated. Uh, but that that's not the case. And mm. yeah. <laughs> especially if you're used to having it, you are better off drinking it and um, it can help. Uh, if you need to get started in the bathroom, <laughs> uh, it can help with that. 
So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think on race day, I'm going to have to get up early, like early, early. Right. Because it starts at 6.30, so I think I have to get up at like 4 and just make sure that, you know, I have coffee and take my time and get all my, my shit taken care of. Right. <laughs> and then go, because if I have to make a pit stop, that'll be so uncomfortable and sweaty and stinky and awkward, and I don't, I don't want to do that on the, on the race, so... Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, I mean they have porta potties, so I'm not right. worried about that. But yeah, um, I, I have definitely used porta potties at least to pee on races, mm-hmm. and um, I know a lot of people fear porta potties and uh, try to avoid them at oh. all costs. Yeah, um, I know. but uh, yeah, I, I would definitely say too, like the porta potties at a race are generally. Uh, especially towards the beginning of the the race, uh, the ideal porta potty situation because they've been delivered for that day. Right. Um, so it's not like they've been sitting there being stinky for who knows how long, or a million people have already used it. Um, they're usually pretty clean. Right. Is that um, the last day of a festival somewhere that you? Right. <laughs> and it's also not like. I mean, it's not like uh, other situations where you might be using a porta potty are frequently situations where people have also been drinking. Mm. Um, so that can yes, also ma'am. add to the mess in a porta potty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you you know runners uh, who are using a porta potty uh, should be sober <laughs> <laughs> and also are are tend to be pretty respectful of the fact that. You know, other people are gonna have to use it, so they they tend to be pretty clean. Uh, one time at the beginning of this little adventure, I had was running after work uh, from mm-hmm. working from home, and like in the afternoons, and don't tell my boss. Sometimes I have a beer, <laughs> and then I went for a run. I don't recommend that. No, um, it didn't sit well. I didn't go very far, but it was early in the process, so um, I felt a little odd and felt like if I, you know, I have to really concentrate because otherwise I'm going to make a misstep and break my ankle and then I'll be drunk running. <laughs> not really drunk, boss lady, but yeah, not, not ideal. Right. Yeah. My dad gave me this book, uh, about Dean, somebody called, I think it's called Marathon Man or Ultra Marathon Man. And he he has basically only run ultra marathons. Mm-hmm. Like he started running in high school and then took a 15 year break and then had a like, midlife mental breakdown in, uh, and then decided like on his way home from work to just grab his running shoes and go running and ran like, I don't know, 25 miles or something. And so then he started doing ultra marathons. And that's anything over a, a regular marathon. And it was really interesting to read about. I don't know that I would want to do that, but uh, I highly recommend that book that I can't remember what the name of it or who the author is. <laughs> uh, yeah, ultra running is almost like uh, a whole different sport. <laughs> yeah. He, he talks uh, a lot about how how much his body hurts and how much he eats really clean all the rest of the time, but while he's running, he eats total garbage and has pizzas delivered to him on his run and eats them while yeah. he's running. Yeah, it definitely intense. Lots, of, lots of times ultra runners will eat a lot of junk food just because, I mean, the reason why it's junk is that it's very available calories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, actually, uh, Coke, Coca-Cola or is uh, has for a long time been popular both with ultra runners and um uh triathletes instead of like sports drinks right because it's so full of sugar and right and it also yeah and it has uh all the sodium in it too oh yeah yeah yep (laughs) my brother-in-law is an ultra marathoner and i always thought he was a big weirdo but i i guess i kind of see get it now because once like for this this process I mean, early in the training, I was running a three-mile thing, 
And so I was like, well, why am I going to pay to be in a 5K when I'm already running 5K? Like, I don't want to pay for that. So then I needed something to work toward. But now that I'm at nine miles or whatever, I can can almost see why people would want to go for more because otherwise it just seems easy, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well... We'll, we'll see what you think after, uh, yeah. after that. I may never run again. Who knows? But but it, it is true. Like once you get on that progression of just adding another mile each week, um, it is surprising how much farther you can go relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's really it's been really about a month. About a month since you you started trade for this this half, and you're now you're going. Three times as long as you were. Yeah. When you started, so. Well, when I started, started I wasn't going anywhere. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which so has that's... been about what five or six weeks, so it hasn't really been that long. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Awesome. That's, that's that's what I've been up to. <laughs> well, sh- do you want to reveal who the amazing guest we have this week is? I am overjoyed to announce that we have um, John Schuster, who is the skip, which is the captain of the Team USA Olympic gold medal curling team. Um, (laughs) I like curling. We've talked about that before. And uh, John Schuster is like four times to the Olympics, many, many, many other awards and trophies that he has won medals that kind of thing and he is generally an all-around just like good guy and a nice person Uh, but then to see that in a super competitive environment was that that's why I like curling so much it's just so Mm -hmm. collaborative almost with your opponent and they care about each other and so to see that in a super high level competition was really an interesting dynamic, and so I had a lot of interest. I had I had a lot of interest in that. And um, somebody asked me, "How did you land a Olympic gold medalist?" I'm like, I just asked him, and he said yes. <laughs> so, Facebook messaged him. Um, so he's super super nice and very very interesting to talk to about how you train for a high high level, um, ongoing performance athlete in a different way than I think maybe a, like a marathoner would or like a right. speed skater might. Um, Sarah is not with me on that. Um, I included my, my roommate Claire, I think is what we call her. She's got a derby name too, but um, <laughs> for a little bit. And then she actually had to leave halfway through the interview. So uh, it's, it's a lot of me. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, you were able to record that while my internet still wasn't functioning, so that's why, unfortunately, I wasn't able to be there. Yeah. But I'm excited to hear it. Yes. Let's let's do it. Yes. Get all the gold. Hi, John. How are you? Good. I'm doing okay. I just realized that uh, my mom gave me these beautiful Bose earbuds, and they don't have the attachment to go to an iPhone. Oh, no. You have the new iPhone, so, then. The good news is I'm really loud. That, that is good news, actually. Look at the... So, it shouldn't be... I, I don't think it'll be a problem. For it's, ar- it's already not a problem, so we're good. Okay. Yeah. So, I'm a loud talker. That's good. <laughs> That's important when you're yelling on the ice. It, it is, and you know, it's everybody can be loud, but I can be loud easily, so I don't lose my voice very often. Ooh, that's a good trait in a skip. Yeah. When you're interviewing for I, people. I got a few of those up my sleeve, yep. <laughs> I'll have to ask you about all of your other secret skip powers. Well, I'm not going to tell you the rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, um, this voice that you're hearing is Amanda, or Birdie, as I go by on the podcast, and um, my roommate's here, too. I'm Claire. Yeah, I, hi, Claire. I gotta, I gotta know how, how did you get this nickname, Birdie? Um, I play well. We both play roller derby, and okay. uh, my derby name is Surly Bird because I'm always up early 
but don't really get like happy about it until I've had <laughs> coffee and a lot of other gotcha. time has passed. Yeah. Gotcha. And then Claire's derby name is Madame de Stompador. It's uh, nine years in, I regret picking a long one. But, uh, <laughs> okay, call, you can just call me Claire today if you'd like. <laughs> All right, because I think I missed the first half. It's something Stompador, but yeah. I don't know what the rest of it was. Yeah, Madame, <laughs> Madame de Stompador. Madame de Stompador. It's fantastic. That's good, right? Thanks. But if you sign a bunch of autographs, it takes a while. It it definitely does. Little girl, little girl birthday parties at our games takes a while. Nice. Um. So the way that we usually begin interviews on the podcast is for just to ask you to introduce yourself and why you think that you are on this podcast. <laughs> why well, I think I'm on this? Oh God! I should have listened to a few of them first. No, that's not necessary. <laughs> I, I I gotta get we're good. Sure. Cool. So am I, is this yep. the start? Is Am I doing this right now then or You're, what? We're doing it. We've been doing okay. it. I recorded oh, before gotcha. I called you. Okay. So <laughs> hi, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm John Schuster. I'm the 2018 skip of the, of the U.S. curling team that won Olympic gold. And I'm relatively certain I'm on this podcast since I know it's ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And I think it was definitely the, uh, the four dads who got lost and found themselves winning an oh. Olympic gold medal that probably landed me on this podcast. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I love that. The four dads. That's true. <laughs> no, it's not because only two of us are actually dads but, oh. uh, out of the five, but yeah. <laughs> All right. That's awesome, though. Um, so I, I guess, like, for the, I know more about you, John, because I follow curling, but I'm guessing that the majority of our audience does not. So, can you just talk a little bit about how you got into the sport and then um, why you like it? Sure. Yeah, curling uh, is classically an upper Midwest kind of uh, niche sport that happened to be uh, up in the small town of Chisholm, Minnesota, where I grew up, a town of 5,000. Wow. And my dad curled in a Thursday night men's league. It wasn't a competitive league, just a something a bunch of guys did on Thursday nights in our town, but... Um, so I kind of knew what it was from the time I was little, but, uh, my dad would never let me throw a rock during like after men's league, like his game would get done and be like, Hey, can I go try this? He'd be like, no, cause what? you know, I was anywhere from five years old, probably through 12. He's like, if you want to come back, you know, go try it on a Sunday night when they have juniors. Okay. So finally <laughs> when I was in sixth grade toward the end of a year, cause I didn't want to have this big commitment to playing junior curling. I, right. um, the guy who ran our program was my sixth grade pre-algebra teacher and, uh, said, yeah, if anybody wants to come the last four sessions a year, it's free. Like, you have no commitment. Come try it. Wow. You know, we still have some room and whatever. And I, yeah, and I was bound and determined. I was going to show my dad that I was, this would be something I would, I could totally do. And uh, honestly, that little bit of determination and the first time I was there and being familiar with the game uh, led it to, for me, being like, man, I, I'm going back next Sunday. And it became like something I just like really, really wanted to do, even though I played basketball in the winters in a small basketball town. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, after after eighth grade, I was kind of doing both. I was like closet curling. Oh. I was, uh, we're such a basketball town that when you play basketball in the wintertime, you're not supposed to do other activities you could maybe get sure. hurt at, like things on slippery ice or anything like that. So, <laughs> yeah, break your head open. Yeah, so I was, uh, I was a closet curler. And then after eighth grade, I decided, you know, this is something I think I might want to do on a regular basis and not have to do it in hiding anymore so yeah yeah started curling full-time and dropped and and hung up the basketball shoes after eighth grade so wow so is the, i feel like that's a little bit old to start curling is that up, especially up north you know yes and no uh it was but the the interesting nuances of starting when you're like 13 or 14 like i mean i was 14 by the time i even decided to make it a full-time activity yeah i didn't have i was able to get the rock to the other end of the ice without developing bad habits that, you know, like smaller kids when they start oh, might sure. develop because the rock weighs 42 pounds that we're sliding around. So, you know, kids that start when they're six, seven, eight years old might have to do things not correctly to get the rock to the other end uh, as far as mechanics go. Right. And then it might be tricky to kind of get rid of some of those habits. So, um, but I really understood the game because I actually watched my dad and I'm a huge like math analytical person mm. too that, where I actually, when I went to the sport, I probably knew more about the sport of curling than all the kids that were out there, even if they had been doing it for three or four years and they were my age, because I had watched it and really took a liking to 
how the game actually was played and how, what the rules were and stuff. Right. So in Derby, we talk about watching footage and learning from other teams or analyzing what they're doing and why and that kind of thing. Do you watch footage or tournaments of other teams or do you get enough curl or enough curling in your life? You know, no, I do enough curling in my life, but uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I've, I do watch other games, but I almost never watch footage of ourselves playing against other teams. Oh, it'll be other teams playing against other teams. So like for instance, the, the Canadian national championships are called the Briar. I went a couple like years ago. Biggest event in the world. It's so fun. Um, and, and it's the most difficult essentially event in the world either. It's yeah. probably, but the winner of the Briar goes to the world championships. Well, they, like right now, like ESPN three, the app, we can watch the entire coverage of the Briar. So I can watch they they air two to three games per day. Right. And so yeah, we do a lot of watching there, and and you can pick up a lot in curling because all the teams and all the players are mic'd up. Yeah, it, and the I fact love that, that they're mic'd up makes it where you know you can see the things they're talking about and the language they're using and. And kind of decide for me, like, at least I'm trying to figure out, like, what best practices are and how, we, oh. how I, you know, introduce those to my team or talk to my team about maybe adjusting something we're doing as far as our communication goes, for sure. Do you think that that's because you're that type of person or because you're the skip, you're kind of the captain, the leader? So you look at, like, Kevin Cooey and see how calm he is on the on the ice and try to emulate something like that. Um, I mean, you know... Not necessarily. I think I think everybody on my team, like, that's the that's the beauty of like when you play at this level, like everybody on our team would be watching the Briar and you know, we'd even have a group chat going along, like when someone, you know, missed a shot, be like, Oh, or holy cow, did you guys see that shot? Like somebody makes a shot and um you know, that's where a lot of be like, Hey, I really watched when Gushu just played that last game and man, I really love the language they're using when their team's talking about weights or tracks on the ice or whatever and and yeah, so I mean, everybody on our team, I think, watches and we're able to have those conversations because of that. And I think most curlers around our mm -hmm. country that are addicted to curling probably watch those telecasts too. Well, yeah. Uh, a couple months ago, we had curling on one screen and at the Bassets, curling on one screen and I think uh, Summer Slam pro or yeah, some sort of pro wrestling on the other screen. Uh, WrestleMania, I'm sure it was. And it was a very interesting crowd at that party. <laughs> oh, I that that would make for great great crowds. I know uh, a couple of my teammates. Well, one for sure watches a ton of old wrestling. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's like that's like you know you're on the road a lot, spending a lot of time in hotel rooms. Like you can yeah. only watch so much Netflix. Mm -hmm. You know, every once in a while you need something you don't have to think about so much and just enjoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, WWE you know. Raw, and you're good to go. <laughs> um, let's see. So. You curl like all the time, probably. What what kinds of things do you do physically to prepare for this for this particular sport? So curling, in the past, especially being a skip, didn't really do a heck of a lot other than try not to get crazy overweight and whatever. But uh, the last four years uh, really made some changes. Um, one of the changes I made in the last couple of years made a huge difference. Is I started using a nutritional program. Mm -hmm like isogenics and they're actually their amp line that that you use in the gym like pre-workout and stuff is for me is like changed workouts and that kind of stuff but wow. in the off season we lift um do strength and a lot of stability stuff uh oh, yeah. like monday wednesday friday and then a lot of intervals and uh cardio stuff tuesday thursdays and um you know and on the weekends trying to stay active and you know just have some fun with you know friends or family and that kind of stuff sure. but uh in the gym when we're doing strength stuff, again, it's a lot of stability, a lot of like single leg, single arm, like kind of throwing your body and having to really like focus on core stability. And and I, we've mixed in a fair amount of Olympic lifting the last couple of years as well. Oh, sure. Do you do it together or do you, are you on your own? It's pretty much on our own. Oh, um, that'd be so we cute. will get together. Like we, <laughs> we have a camp generally down at the Olympic Training Center once, like in end of June, usually every year, which this year is not happening. But, um, mm -hmm where you're kind of t all together and then a few camps where maybe you have one lifting day in there together. But other than that, it's um, pretty much on your own. Okay. But we have a program generally that a trainer will write for us and you kind of, um, mm. you know, we move it around based on who you are and what you need. And, do you and practice? it's uh, working pretty well. Do you practice together or you just go play tournaments now? <laughs> uh, we play a ton of tournaments. I know you I do. will practice with uh, 
Yeah, last year, I think we played 13. The year before that, we played 19 tournaments. We played, like, 120 games during Good the year. Lord. Which is a lot. That's a yeah. lot. Mm-hmm. So, so you get enough time on the ice together. Um, but, yeah, so our yeah. team practiced when we're not playing. Um, four of the five of us have lived in the same town, and now, like, three of the four of us will live together in the same town. But mm-hmm. um, I probably – I see Lance Steiner a couple days, and once in a while I'll throw a couple rocks with him. But a lot of times we're practicing on lunch breaks and – like in small windows. So, you know, unless somebody's struggling with something or I'm struggling with something, we don't generally, you know, it's, it's just easier to get your practice in by yourself in a more efficient manner. Right. And, and honestly, like, it's kind of like going to the driving range, honestly, where you don't like, I get maybe less out of a practice when somebody else is calling the shots. Cause I have a regimented thing like practice that I run through. Sure. Yeah. Do you get, tired of each other or sick oh, of curling for sure. <laughs> do you get tired of curling all the time uh yes and no i you know i do love still playing like i i love the gameplay and you know i i play on tuesday nights with my buddies in a league you do and yeah so if i didn't if i didn't really like curling i definitely wouldn't uh so seek it out to play another game during the course of a week when i'm not playing in a tournament but um, and I also have a, a standing one-on-one game. I play with a retired guy from our club that I play him, try to play him every week that I'm home too. So. Oh my goodness. That's a lot of curling. How do you, ah. <laughs> how do you balance it all with your, you have a family and uh, do you work? I assume you work. Uh, let's be clear to the people who are you listening. You assume I work, but you don't exactly work. Can you, uh, can you do curling full-time? I've been able to full time, curling like my job. Yeah, I can't, I can't full-time. I only can because I have a wife who uh, is a pharmacist and mm. um, has, has a good job. And my mother who comes over and takes care of my kids when I leave for tournaments. So yeah, um, I work very part-time uh, as part of Dick's Sporting Goods Contenders program. That's so cool. So, but, but yeah, so in the wintertime, especially, I'd probably say like August 1st through the end of May, like everything I do every day, like that's not like free time is kind of as like curling as my job in mind. So wow. like I wake up, drop my kids off at daycare on days my wife works, um, you know, I'll head to the gym, get a workout in, get a, you know, warm up, cool down. That's usually close to noon. And then if they're, if we have ice, then I'm, you know, probably have a, go have some lunch and uh and head over to the club early afternoon so get there around like 12 12 30 and then practice for i don't know anywhere from 45 minutes to an to two hours and and then head home and try to catch up on a few housework things before i go pick my kids up from daycare so wow it's kind of the dream right like to do the thing you love uh but you don't get paid really for it is that right that is correct. Like we have a very small monthly stipend we get through the USOC and, um, and you, and you can get sponsorship and some of these purses we play for, like in a lot of the grand slam events in Canada have like hundred thousand dollar purses and there's 16 teams playing. So, but you got to split whatever you win up four ways. And yeah, it's, it's, it's not a way to, there's a, there's probably five or six teams that make like a full living off curling and the rest are, you know, either, breaking even or having a small supplemental income to what they usually do. So Wow. Yeah. So so John Schuster, you've been to the Olympics. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So yeah, four times. <laughs> you know, just a couple. Um, you have a bronze and a gold medal. Um, is the gold medal heavier than the bronze medal? Well, if you were doing your research, you would know that that was the case. I thought it was, but I wasn't. Yeah, did no, it feel? It, it is because I think I believe the gold medal from this Winter Olympics is like the heaviest medal they've ever produced. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, so it's it's a little bit heavier. My bronze medal is still is bigger, like around, but it's also got a giant hole in the middle of it from the mm. Italy medals in two thousand six. But yeah, um, but this one's heavier for sure. Dang. Uh, how do you mentally prepare for big events and tournaments like the Olympics? Especially so, all of the stuff that happened with this Olympics. <laughs> um, you know, I'll, we actually work with a sports psychologist a little bit. So, you know, a lot of the stuff over the last couple yeah. of years we did was find out, like, where we fall in, like, a, 
you know, some personality and behavior profiles. Yeah, and conflict management, that kind of thing. Yeah, like a disc. It's actually called like the disc profile that you do. Okay. So you kind of find out where you fall and where your teammates fall. And for me, like most of what I do is, you know, it is really just try to get to a place where when I get to an event, I can focus on the game itself and, you know, getting myself set up to be ready to play at a particular time frame. Um, and then, you know, with through working with a sports psychologist, you know, make sure that, you know, anything that any kind of issues I'm having with myself or a team that I can, you know, personally work through, you know, being the, you know, honestly, getting to a place where I can make shots and be ready to play big games. And, you know, funny thing, our team last year only won two events all year. We won the Olympic trials and the Olympics. Whoa. <laughs> Dang. But. That's what we really crazy. did, though, over the last four years, and especially over the last year and a half, is we put the process ahead of results and really made sure that everything we did was preparing for those two events. And so we didn't necessarily, I mean, you care that you have these opportunities to win these events and to win and, you know, make more money and that kind of thing. But, you know, when we'd be at a particular tournament, we might focus on one particular thing, like, you know, like being great teammates on the ice and, you know, you shouldn't have to think about it too much, but, you know, we're like, okay, well, this weekend we're going to really, like, actually think about being a great teammate and what that means. And, you know, when somebody makes a shot, you're the, you give them exactly what, you know, you would want or what you think they want. And when they miss a shot, you also do the same thing. And, um, and I think it was kind of those kind of pieces that allowed us to really, like, I think thrive in a super high what well, should have been a super high pressure, high mm -hmm. intensity environment. And honestly, if you watch the sub semifinal in the gold medal game in the Olympics, yeah. like I haven't ever seen our team more relaxed and having more fun than those two games. It's so true. You all were real chill and like having a great time. Like it just looked like you were enjoying the moments. That, that's exactly right. And you know, I was, I was living in the moment. I took, any kind of emotion I had out and that's, you know, people said, well, how would it feel on the podium? I was like, I was numb. Yeah. And I don't know, like when we were two and four, if like, I'd, and I was honestly say this, I don't know if, so, if something clicked for me or something snapped for me, but <laughs> my life was different after that night and whatever went on wow. in that 24 hour span that all of a sudden I completely detached emotion and was able to, enjoy being on the ice and doing what I had put my entire life's work into doing and yeah um and it worked so and you were on um, fire that was pretty cool. on, that? you were on fire like every shot not every single shot but like every shot landed kind of where you wanted you know like it's just and that's uh, you know killer. curling on great ice though like you're playing at the olympics like that's what you have to do when absolutely you, you have to be able to make you know everything all the big ones and yeah, and our, my my team actually had a great week the entire time. I was the person who kind of yeah. I I could probably be blamed for at least three of those four losses, if not all four. So, <laughs> <laughs> do you do you four have a coach, or do you have anyone on site that kind of helps you manage your way through the like administrative parts of oh, yeah, being a team and, and travel and getting to the menu and all that stuff, or do you all do that yourselves? <laughs> we have a coach uh, that. You know, and we have coaching staff. So we had, like, a head coach, a national coach, our sports psychologist, and our trainer that were all, like, in the locker room with us. Great. Um, in meetings and stuff. Like, before, like, and this is at the biggest events only, like the Olympics and the Olympic trials and mm -hmm. Worlds. Um, generally, it's just a coach and maybe the national coach. And our alternates there, too. So, yeah. Um, but they don't do they do maybe get us into like our coach will register us for tournaments but we do all of our own travel stuff because and lodging because we have a pretty tight budget to get to all of our events at and right. um john lansire is a project manager by trade and i am a like a traveling money-saving guru by I knew i liked fault. <laughs> so we actually um we probably we went to the most spiels and stayed within our actual budget without having to go over and spend our own money. Wow. Uh, better than maybe any team like in curling and, and John Lance and I take care of all of that administrative stuff basically for our team. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I we're a pretty good job. tag team. 
Mm-hmm. It, it's cool to find somebody you have that synergy with and in many ways. So on the ice and off. You know, and I used to do all the traveling and expense reporting because that's how, you know, we get reimbursed through our budget through expense reporting. But once I realized how easy it was for him and I still booked the travel and then I just send on the receipts and whatever. And he, I mean, we, we've made it where it's less work probably for both of us and less worrying about what other people are doing. We just get it done and it's over with. And yeah, so. Cool. Um, John, you, again, Olympics gold medal. What is it like to be the literal best at something? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I wouldn't know yet. No, that's Uh, not true at all. I, you know what though? I would never say, I, I, I wouldn't take it like being the Olympic champion and being the best aren't necessarily the, they're not synonymous to me. Okay. So being an Olympic champion and knowing what that means, um, that's, I mean, it's an incredible feeling that you, you know, you hope for me, like hoped to achieve, planned to achieve. But um, even when you do it, it was like for me, kind of like I, I guess I expected to, but I didn't expect to at the same time. And um, it's it's fun thinking, you know, even for me, like that I've won the most games representing the United States at international competitions and mm-hmm. like. American history on in curling like yeah. for me that's I've always thought that I was a like a great teammate and I was really good at picking teammates and I've been on some great teams and um you know for me it I I'm just truly honored to to have been on some great teams and get a chance to play so many times represent our country that's cool have you done cool things as a result of this like what's the coolest <laughs> Coolest thing, the opportunity that has come your way as a result of being an Olympian, being a gold medalist. I mean, I mean, other than talking to you guys today. <laughs> um, sure. No, we've we've done we've done some a a ton of bucket list pinch yourself. Yeah. You know, especially Minnesota sports fan things. Like I'm a huge Minnesota sports fan, and we dropped a puck at the wild game, which they've only apparently oh. done like twelve or fifteen times in their existence because. They honor people with giving, being able to give the Let's Play Hockey address. Yeah. And not with actually a ceremonial puck drop. Wow. Um, so that was crazy. Throwing out, a, like, our team all throwing out a first pitch of the Twins game, no matter how bad it went. And not, <laughs> not only a Twins game, but the home opener. Like, I'd hope someday to be like, you know what, I hope it works out someday I can go to a home opener. And I hope someday, and I have thrown out a first pitch, but it wasn't, there was like three groups doing it, and it just wasn't that significant after like 14 right so i kind of hoped to be able to do either of those things and they asked us to do both like wow throw out the first pitch of the home opener for the twins That's you know incredible. and then yeah like i mean hang out in a box and i mean that game we were hanging out with justin morneau and ken urbeck two of like my like heroes. heroes yeah just and uh yeah but then same thing with we threw a I threw a curling rock before in any the nhl outdoor game between the capitals who ended up winning the stanley cup which I know two of the players on the team. Wow. Um, when they played the Maple Leafs outdoors at the Navy State Academy Stadium. Wow. And, I mean, so you're not only in this outdoor environment that the NHL, like, makes a huge deal about, but you're actually in a significant military, like, venue. It was, I mean, and, and it was five days after we got over the Olympics, so people were still losing their minds over us winning a gold medal. Right. And we were walking around there, and someone's like, it's Team Schuster, they're like the Beatles, and it felt like they were telling the truth. Yeah. Like, we people were walking along, taking selfies, and like, half, like, almost crying with us walking. It was crazy. Wow. So, and, yeah, I mean, and everybody we've met, I've met so many celebrities at, like, we met Jimmy Fallon, and I played in a, yeah. in a, Pro-Am on the web.com tour, um, you know, that, like, Larry the Cable Guy was there, like, <laughs> and and I was playing against him on the last day, it was, it was crazy, Aaron Rodgers, Tim Wakefield, I played catch with Tim Wakefield, he's a knuckleballer, I was a knuckleballer through college, oh my goodness, I pitched in college, and I threw knuckleballs back and forth with Tim Wakefield, like, crazy, crazy stuff, that like, what would have never life? happened had we even not, maybe if we won silver, we probably wouldn't have been able to do all those things, so... Pretty incredible. That's amazing. Do your kids think you're pretty cool for that? Or just like in general because you're a cool dad? Uh, well, they, I don't know. Hey, Luke. <laughs> hey, Luke. Do you think I'm cool? Yeah, I'm letting him watch his uh, Netflix on his phone while we're driving, so oh, I must be cool. You're pretty cool then. 
it's I, I don't think Logan, my younger one for sure, doesn't fully understand, but sure. I think Luke thinks it's fun to, you know, see his dad on TV and um like uh when we were when the president did his address with us there, you know, Matt um came up and was like, Oh yeah, I, everybody could make some comments. He's like, Yeah, even you know, your daughter held held Schuster's son during the gold medal game because Ivanka was holding Luke during the gold medal game. Oh, wow. And Luke was watching live on TV with my mom, and he's like, yes, Matt mentioned me on TV. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So, yeah, so it's – he must think we're pretty cool. Oh, that's good. (laughs) It's easy to think your dad is, like, super dumb and embarrassing, especially on a national, international scale. So that's good that he's – pretty cool about it well i've uh yeah i i I could see i could see being if my dad was like a national personality i would be yeah maybe he doesn't think i'm cool i don't know (laughs) (laughs) probably just for regular reasons though yeah probably yeah uh do you have other hobbies or does this take up all of your time no no i got you know i got so many other hobbies that i would love to spend way more time doing but haven't been able to like i grew up uh, my dad and I used to go hunting like in the fall almost every single day after school. After you get home from work, we'd go walk through the woods and and uh, and chase uh, rough grouse. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we I deer hunted with my dad and a bunch of people and still do that. Like usually early November, we used to take a pheasant tri- hunting trip out to like Iowa. And I've been to South Dakota when I was a little guy. And, um, you know, so I have a German short air pointer too. So I, oh, I, I really this. do like that. Um, like the hunting, especially the, you know, being, doing it with like family and, right. and close friends and the, and then also just love like letting my dog do what she was born to do and seeing that in the field is so much fun for me. Yeah. Um, I've, I love fishing and we used to go a couple, usually three, four camping trips, like where you go camp on rocks, like by boat, not where you couldn't even drive and uh mm-hmm. and did a lot of fishing and camping growing up and i still try to get away and do that once or twice a summer um and then i i took up golf probably a little more seriously right when i went to college and it's like this morning i went and played golf with my uncle and brother-in-law and Aww. one of my brother-in-law's friends so yeah I, I i got i got plenty of hobbies of things i like to do but um things i've definitely had to give up you know a lot of right what I do with them because of how much time curling takes up. Do you feel like that's because you've been playing at a high level for so long or um, do things become more, I guess my question is do things become more normalized that now you can fit more of these things in because you're, you're on a routine, you have a specific training plan. Uh, the high level no, part of it no, isn't I, such a big deal I, anymore. I don't, I mean, I have these hobbies and, and I like to think that, I, I'm somewhat good at all of them, but I could be like, I, I definitely could use the ability to do a lot more of them, but don't have the time because of the amount of time I put into curling year round. Right. So it, it is nice though, to, like that I have a schedule and I can fit those in. And I think that a lot of that is like important mental breaks too, to, mm-hmm. you know, go and be up on a lake in Canada for two days and just think about nothing but Fish. fishing and whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, because I was just thinking, like, you've been playing at a high level for, what, a decade? Five, uh, at least? 16 years 16 since years? I played my first junior national okay. championship. Okay, so and, that uh, is... And in those 16 years, I've been to 20 national championships. Holy between cow. Juniors, men's, and mixed doubles. Yeah, and I have, I think I have 20 medals at nationals, worlds, and where do Olympics, you, so... Where do you put <laughs> all your medals? Uh, my, they're gener- they're honestly all like sitting on a shelf in my basement. My wife just went to see if we were missing any and we realized we were just missing one. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so yeah, so it was, uh, but we're trying to come up. We just finished like kind of re are redoing our basement a little bit and are trying to figure out how to display all of it to make it, make it look. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause I think talking to you and kind of your whole vibe is really, calm and seems pretty chill in general but when you've been playing so long and you practice hours per day it just becomes part of your life and like curling itself is not a stressful activity it, 
But, <laughs> I mean, like, everyday curling. Like, going to No, Tuesday no, night, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. It's just something you've honed and you're good at. It still is a thing that takes up time and attention, of course. But the high-level aspect isn't as anxiety-producing as I thought it might be. Uh, or is it? Kind of is, Am I though. wrong? Um, you know, like, for me... You know, I put a lot of stress on practice, on my practice particularly. Mm-hmm. Like, if I don't like the way I'm throwing a rock particular day and that's where um, – it, or, you know, we're playing in a tournament and you play two bad games in a row kind of thing. Like, okay, like, you know, everybody's giving up a lot of their time, like your teammates to be here. And, you know, and right. especially when you're the skip. Like, for me, I'm like, well, I just screwed that whole thing up. We should have won that game easy and I – whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, it's – I think it maybe is a tiny bit more stressful than maybe it has to be even, but because of like how important it is like to, to me. And honestly, like I don't, and and this is my wife. She's like, I don't work full time. And so if I don't, if, if I'm not putting everything I can Mm. possibly put into it, then maybe we need to figure out something else that I have to do. Like it's, it it is it's a it's a hobby and it's a yeah. and it's my one my passion but it's also becomes kind of my job. It is and your job. I treat it as such too. So it's but no, it's um I I do really enjoy it and if I if I didn't I definitely wouldn't uh wouldn't keep going after I could have went out on top had we uh just hung up the old shoes after the Olympics were done. So <laughs> Yeah, uh, that would be the next question. What's what's next? <laughs> that's, that's a yeah no it's uh, actually keep, one of our players playing? on my team Tyler is stepping mm-hmm. away from curling for the year from oh. actually playing competitively wow so we have a, we have another um, Chris Plies who we pl- who played third on the team we beat in the finals of the Olympic trials and moved over to our team and uh, yeah we have a pretty good schedule built for this next year and the cool. first thing we're playing in is uh, is when we're gonna film curling night in America which. I went it's actually going to air on Friday nights starting in September, I think. So. Oh, that's cool. I went to it when it was in Blaine, and that was really fun. It's going to be in – we're filming it in Chaska, so you might have to come back. And, I would uh, love to. For the filming. It's in the end of August. So. Okay, good. I sat next to Courtney, uh, Tyler, for the listeners, Tyler's sister, at yep. the um, summer spiel in St. Paul. She's very nice. It sounds like you're kind of a curling aficionado here. I know some things. Uh, my ex-husband played for a long, uh, yep. for a long time, so I tried to uh, be a good su- support person. Better at it some days than others, but I enjoy curling. I think it's really interesting to watch the strategy of it and the the, and I, the mental and I think focus. That's that why it takes. it's been taking off so much the last couple Olympic cycles. Is now that they're showing entire ends on TV that yes that they're it's really captured like captivating people's um you know the senses and and really making people like that's people ask me the biggest thing of why they think curling is taking off so much after this Olympics and I think it's kind of been building and it's happened Mm -hmm. you know a people love something the U.S. can win gold in but b also the fact that people are seeing entire ends developed and not just the last couple shots of an end see the last couple shots of an end, it's kind of boring. But when you see how things are developing, like it can be hard to uh, grab the, the remote and change the channel when you see that going on. Definitely. It's so holistic. I really like that. Oh, I like that holistic. I think that's – I might steal that one from you. Sure. I mean, from everything from the, the guards to – Oh, for sure. I, everything I 100% understand on. exactly what you're saying. It's a great way of uh, describing your sport. Yeah. I think people look at curling too and they're like, I could – do that and then they see the strategy part and they're like oh finally a sport that is more for me who doesn't have you know I I personally don't have hand-eye coordination uh which to catch a ball kind of hand-eye coordination uh that's why I roller skate and don't play a ball sport but um people see curling and physically they're like I can go on the ice and I can crowd you know get into the you know the Manitoba tuck even though you can't because that is Google it, listeners, because it is a real difficult thing to do. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, they see it and they think, I can do that. And then they keep watching and they see all of the other cool stuff that happens and the strategy that develops, and then their brain gets into it as well. Um, Yeah, I 
I also really love the, per, at least perceived, camaraderie and genuine appreciation that people have for each other. I feel like other sports can get competitive in an angry way, and curling just seems more competitive in a, I want to do well for my team and do better than I've done before, and it's not about being mad at the other team. It's about doing well for the sake of doing well. Yeah, and that's, I, I think that's even, somebody said, you know, after we won, like, and, and, you know, the other team came and shook all of our hands, like, it looked like someone's like, when they, when you shook Nicholas Adin's hand, it was like a somber handshake. Yeah. And, like, like, that wouldn't be necessarily a, but it was exactly, like, I was, I was, I could feel, like, I could totally feel for the guy, like, he right. put everything that we put in for the last four years and came up that much short of, you know, he's won world championships or whatever, but, you know, the one thing he's missing from his resume is an Olympic gold medal. And, and we, you know, just in winning it, like mm-hmm. stopped him from achieving that. So, you know, I, it was, it was a tiny bit somber. And that's like you said that, um, you don't ever, like, I, we're never, a curler never really necessarily like plays a sport, like to humble your opponent or, you know, again, trying to do great and for yourself and your team. And, you know, if that results in beating the other team, it's just what it, results in it it's not yeah yeah so it's definitely a different competitiveness than a lot of sports and I, I just love that like if um a team is beating the other team by enough by the end of like the sixth or seventh end or round or you know whatever uh, makes sense to the listener folks um they handshake and they're done like it's not worth pounding the other person into the ground yeah. You're going to go drink some beers together and talk about how great curling is. Yeah, generally you don't talk about curling after curling <laughs> finishes. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Well, John Schuster, what what else should we know? What, what didn't I ask that you were hoping I would? Sure. Great question. My mind is pretty much jelly after the last uh, 90 days. So Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, think we, I think we probably covered enough where hopefully people think uh, – our conversation was somewhat interesting. I think it's interesting. I, I'm, I'm feeling bad that I didn't hear more from Claire during this thing, but um, you know, she actually left about halfway through because she has to go to Derby. Uh, see, <laughs> see, yeah, that that's why we didn't hear much from Claire. That's right. She <laughs> said she said to say thank you for um, including her, and um, she enjoyed meeting you. Audio. Now, yeah. Now, now I got to find out. So I've done all this, like thrown out for his pitches. So, like, what can I do to, like, you know come to like one of your derby things and uh do you want to you know, do the I, countdown can i like be the pace car for the first lap or something <laughs> or how does this work um probably our biggest honor is to do the we have a celebrity countdown yeah. for the first jam of the game so if you are willing to do that and bring you can bring your buds or not um we would i'm sure we would be happy to have you yeah that sounds like uh that sounds like fun like i've Okay. I've only very minimally watched roller derby, so it, you know, it'd be. I'll be in very, touch. Very exciting, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, tw- uh, Harbor City is your local roller derby league, and they're yep. they're fun to watch. So you should our our product is a little bit different in production value, just because um, we're in the Roy Wilkins, and it's we have a lot of lights and sound and ba- a band and a bunch of other things. Um, but roller derby is fun to watch no matter where you are. Yeah. I know, I know there's uh, I know a lot of people go out for that stuff. So totally. Well, thank you so much for joining us, me. It was really a joy. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Yay. That was awesome. Uh, he's so great. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't swear at all. I don't know if you noticed. I tried really, really hard. Partly because he's like a good boy from Duluth, Minnesota. Um, and also because he was in the car with his kid. And so I was like, I don't want to. I'm sure that Luke, I think is his kid's name. I'm sure that Luke has heard um, people swear before. But I tried. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh in this shortened episode, should we just skip on to uh, the thing I love? Yeah, let's, and, you know it's my favorite. Yeah, the thing I love. The thing I love.
I love fruits It's my sweet pleasure I love fruits. What have you been loving, Birdie? Oh, boy. Um, well, I love two things that are not super deep. Um, the first thing is I made a fire for the first time in my life. I bought a backyard all by, yourself? All by myself. That is so cool. I know. It wasn't that hard, actually. Um, so I went camping a couple weeks ago, and my the, my friend who we went camping with made the fire the whole time, but I like watched her and took notes mm-hmm. in, in my head, not literal notes. Um, and then I had bought a, like a backyard fire pit kind of deal, and we had people mm-hmm. over, and I said, I like, I'm going to make this fire in my head. I'm all like puffed up. I got all the things. I've been watching a lot of Survivor and uh, naked and afraid and just ready to do the thing. And then my cousin, who is a man, came. He was, he was starting to do it. And I was like, actually, I want to do it. Can you just like leave me alone? And he did. He was very respectful of that. I think, um, I think it's hard for dudes to be confronted with that, but he's usually pretty... You know, sensitive to that kind of thing. And then I just, you know, I just did it. And then uh, kind of went out for a bit and I revived it myself. I just felt like a, a badass. Awesome. Well done. Yeah. I was inspired from all our camping talk over the last uh, yeah, couple months. Yeah. I was about to say, I suspect Ruby would be proud of you. Yes. And I didn't use any lighter fluid. I did use a, a match or a, a lighter, but. No additional yeah. help. Since you're not actually on Survivor, I think we could give you that one. <laughs> I don't need to use a flint <laughs> or a bow drill. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, and it was lovely to have people over and, you know, we drank some beers and talked about roller derby mostly, but, you know, just life and other stuff. So it was really nice to have folks over, too. Nice. Um, and then the other thing that I love is... Uh, this this paint that you can purchase for leather, and it's called Angelus Paints. Um, just watching on Instagram their the uh, the shoes that they paint, uh, particularly Nikes or uh, the Adidas with the stripes on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just you know those folks are artists and they paint scenes, like The Simpsons or Doctor Who or just desserts on on these shoes <laughs> and they're beautiful well I wanted these this pair of shoes that um, they're fancy leather shoes but I wanted them in teal and they don't make them in teal so I I made them I you know, painted several layers and I need to go back in and do a little bit of distressing on them because they look very like, shiny and mm-hmm. painty right now but um, it was really fun to create this thing that I wanted out of materials and it looks good nice oh, yeah what was it called again did you say Angela's like the Angela's like the woman's name um it's A-N-G-E-L-U-S oh Angela's cool and you can buy them online but I there's a local uh fancy paint and uh like bullet journaling markers artists I guess it's a fancy art store mm-hmm uh, in in one in St. Paul, so I went there and they have a big display. So I got to see. I like to see and touch all the things right. for artwork that I'm gonna do. So it was nice to go there and be able to look at everything. Nice. Yeah. So I love that. Sarah, what do you love? Uh, I have been loving season two of Queer Eye. Oh yes! If if my roommate and I just watched two episodes last night. Oh my gosh! It's true what they say. Like you cannot make it through an episode of Queer Eye without crying. I don't care what you say mm-hmm. or who you are. You will cry. <laughs> um, but it's so good. Yeah, it, and it's <laughs> it's just it's also such a good like positive show. Like every episode that the. the the theme is basically them uh, c- kind of encouraging whoever it is they're making over um, to work on their self-esteem and, and realize what an awesome person they are. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
And especially the first season, I I wasn't the biggest Jonathan fan, but season mm. two, he has 100% won me over. He mm. is like the cheerleader and the number one fan of, I swear, like every person he's ever met. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. There's probably some, some assholes he's met that he is not fans of, and I'm sure he would also tell that to that person in space, but... <laughs> It, it, all the nice people in the world. He is super excited about you, even if he hasn't met you. So that's awesome. <laughs> he, yeah. So maybe we all have such a positive person. In <laughs> yeah. So yeah, definitely uh, check it out. Um, in this, uh, this in the second season, um, they have the first ever woman to ever be made over yeah. on Queer Eye. Um, and then they also have um, a trans guy that um, they work with. We haven't gotten that far yet. Um, That's good. And uh, especially if, if you were uh, interested or curious about uh, some of the stuff that Jacob talked about it, uh, when he was with us, they uh, start out the episode um, showing a little bit of footage from when uh, this guy, his name is Skyler, uh, had his top surgery, um, oh, wow. so it's not it's not too gruesome or graphic, uh, but you, you can get a little bit more of an idea of what the actual surgery is like if you're interested. That's awesome. So yeah, um, and they they also in that episode they um, mentioned some like cool stores and uh, resources for uh, trans people who. Uh, are maybe not comfortable dress uh, shopping in regular stores, mm-hmm. um, and especially like this guy, he was wanting a man's like a, to get a tailored suit, um, but the tailoring process was very stressful very, and up- very personal yeah. tailoring process. So uh, they they hooked him up with a store that it's. Uh, especially for, I mean, they'll sell close to anyone, but uh, right. they specialize in, in helping trans people uh, get the clothes that uh, fit their identity without some of the stressful or scary stuff. So That's cool. Yeah, check it out. All right. Well, should we wrap this up? Yeah. So I can go to work today? And I can um, go to sleep. <laughs> So, uh, you can find us at IdidaThingPod.com. Follow us on Facebook at IdidaThingPodcast. And we're on Twitter and Instagram at IdidaThingPod. And if you have questions or comments, want to say hello, email us at IdidaThingPod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to our podcast, I Did a Thing. If you enjoyed our show, please rate and subscribe on iTunes. And go do a thing. Go do a thing. Go do a thing. Woohoo!